Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. This morning, uh, as we look at this, I realized, I, I was thinking, a, a friend of mine's a pastor, and he uh, heard a sermon one time where another pastor, a friend of his, stood up and he talked about how this next message is a church growth, growth message. Unfortunately, it's probably for other church, the other church to grow because people won't like the message and they'll go some other place. And this morning, maybe that's what this message is. We're going to talk about love, marriage and immorality um, and how this all fits together. And Jesus, uh, we're in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is going about talking about different issues that were common uh, to the people. And this morning, as we talk about these couple issues, these are common in our day as well and couldn't be more fitting uh, for where we are at as a culture. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you the two sections that we'll be going through this morning. Starting at verse 27, you have heard that uh, that it, it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let her let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. God, I ask your a blessing and your wisdom as we go through this passage. Um, God, I ask that you would cause us to hear your word, your message. Uh, May we not bring our own baggage uh, to this passage and try to reinterpret it, uh, nor uh, may we in self-righteousness think that somehow we can uh, live up to your standard apart from your strength. God, do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When I think of our world today, um, and I think of the issues of immorality and the breakdown of marriages, um, I think that's where our world is today. And as Jesus was addressing a group of people, we don't know who was there. He didn't uh, take attendance and write it down for us. Uh, But as you look at the flow of the passage... Uh, Many were going out to John the Baptist and then Jesus himself came out there and then he was just as he was preaching. And here we come to this passage. We wonder uh, if the scribes, Pharisees and other religious leaders were there as well. If they were, I doubt very seriously that they were front and center taking notes. They were probably in the back back row. Not that the Pharisees and the religious leaders are in the back row. They might just be Baptists. They just might be Baptists. Uh, one of the elders told me one time uh, many years ago that they designed a new church. It's a Baptist church. And uh, it only has run, one row of seating. One row. And um, 
once that row is filled, uh, it's on a track and it swings you all the way to the front. Uh, and then another row appears. And so you can always be in the back row, uh, but eventually you'll come to the front. Anyways, uh, I don't think that's true. Um, we picture a group of people and what Jesus is presenting to them is a different way, a different way. Uh, they knew about what the religious thought of the day was. Uh, the religious leaders found themselves to be the authority. And now Jesus was saying, let me tell you what I think about these things. When I say, uh, let me tell you what I think about it, it it's not real accurate. Um, it, Jesus is not just presenting his opinion next to the opinions of the world or the re- opinions of the religious leaders. He's telling them how it is, how it is. Jesus is speaking with authority. And I think that's important for us to realize in our life. Um, Every decision that we make um, is kind of one of those competing opinion things, right? Well, uh, what what will my mom and dad think? What will my friends think? Uh, What will the government think? What will uh, the what does everybody else do? Uh, what do I think? And, and we, we struggle with all these ideas. And sometimes life is really confusing. And the question that we want to ask is, what does Jesus think? What is his answer? Because he knows. He knows. He, he knows the answer. And so as Jesus lays this out before them, uh, he is confronting Um, some lies of their day. And I want to tell you that there's some lies of our day too, that as we look at these, we start off in verse 27 and it says, uh, you have heard it that it it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And he starts out most of these sections with something similar to that. You, you know what it, what it means. You know, it's common to you today. You know, the old teaching, you shall not commit adultery. And most of us in our hearts right now go, yeah, you shouldn't. (laughs) It's bad. Adultery is bad. And uh, adultery in the sense used here in this passage is the idea that you are unfaithful to your wedding, to your wedding vows, to the covenant you made before God. That you said uh, to one another, but uh, in the witness of God, to say, I will be faithful to you and to... Uh, in an immoral way, go outside the bonds of marriage, that's adultery. And as we read this, uh, we say, yeah, adultery is bad. I don't think anyone here, if you're here this morning and you don't believe that adultery is bad, we got a long way to go this morning. A long way to go. I think most of you do believe it's bad. And you'd say, uh, it's obvious. Everyone would know that. And connecting with the Old Testament, Jesus is sharing with them. And he says, you've heard it said that adultery is bad. It's, it's sin. You, you, you know that already. And they're nodding their heads. Yes, adultery is bad. And then Jesus says this in verse 28. But I say to you, And when he makes that turn, he's saying, I have authority to explain this to you. And I know what's what's right and best. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You can imagine 
You can imagine the, the group of people that um, they had heard of John the Baptist. They heard of Jesus. They were listening to this new preaching. Jesus is explaining his new way. And they say, I know about adultery. It's wrong. And then Jesus says this, whoever, when someone looks with lustful intent in their heart, he says, you've committed adultery in your heart. Boy, uh, that must have been a shocker to them because of the lie that they believed and the lie that we believe, many of us here this morning, is that uh, adultery is just an issue of the act, the act of adultery. It's when you, you do it, you, you commit adultery, that's when you're in trouble. There's a privacy in your own heart and mind that you're okay, you're not doing. You're not hurting anybody. It's it's only a look. It's only a thought. It's only something in my mind. And Jesus says, "Let me tell you about that that look, that thought in your mind. It's adultery in your heart. It's adultery in your heart." I want to um, be very careful here this morning uh, with what we're talking about. First of all, um, in and the enemy, our, our enemy, uh, the devil, the way he works is not usually up front. He, he doesn't say, reject Christ and follow me. Rarely. Most of the time it's a drawing away. And one of his methods is to twist scripture. It's to cause you to read and leave out words or add words in such a way uh, where you miss the point. Uh, with this passage right here, um, some have taken it to mean this. I uh, shouldn't c- commit adultery. Okay, I haven't committed adultery. But uh, I, the second part says, looking with lustful intent, uh, you've already committed adultery. And you go, oh. Well, if I've already committed adultery, I might as well uh, do the act as well. It's very important that you don't miss some words in there. Adultery in your heart. Adultery in your heart. He uses this, this word adultery and, and it is meant to shock us. It is meant to make us cringe and go, oh. See, because what we do in our minds is we say adultery is bad. Adultery is bad. But what goes on in my heart, that's no big deal. And Jesus says, it is a big deal. And so I use the word adultery Adultery in your heart. What he's saying here is you need to get this point that the purity of your own heart, what goes on inside of you is critical. It's critical. And for us here this morning, I want you to know that too. I want us, as we look at the passage of the word of God, I want us to know this. I want to talk to you. First of all, we have some young people here today. Um, Young people, this is for you. This is for you. I know you don't get it yet. I know, I know you don't get it. It's hard to understand. how. Da- but, but the dirty things of this life, you want no part of. You want no part of it whatsoever. You, you want to run from it. You want to get rid of it. You want to go outside and live uh, and work your body and use it for that which God intended. You don't want to be a part of all that, that filth of this world. But I want to tell you, kids, uh, the, this 
portion of the scripture, Jesus wasn't talking to the youth group. He wasn't. Doesn't say that. You know who I think he was talking to? Mostly adults. Mostly people with jobs and kids. And and you know what he was telling them? Lustful intent in your heart is adultery of the heart. Super important. There was a... Talked to a girl many years ago, a young girl in the youth group. She was probably in seventh grade at the time. And we were talking about things, and she was jabbering. Sometimes girls do that. Um, and she said, well, you know, that, that, that's, uh, you know I, that's one of those adult movies I can't see. And I said, oh, what does that mean? What's an adult movie? And she goes, oh, there's certain movies that kids can't handle, so only adults can watch them. And I said, why? And she says, well... There's like dirty stuff in them and adults, it doesn't bother adults, but it's bad for kids. And, you know, my ears are turning red and steam's coming out at this time. And I said, let let me correct you. Those movies aren't good for anyone. And, And I want to remind you of the lie that says, I can handle it. I can handle it. That I can handle a picture that I can watch a movie, that I can see something, and it doesn't affect me. Jesus said, once you get that thing going in your heart, He says, if you work that over in your heart, and you enjoy that, and you don't turn away, guess what? It's adultery going on in your heart. Is it bad? Yes, it's bad. He goes on to describe something, and, and this, this is shocking. Maybe, maybe you've gone over this and become accustomed to this, but it's shocking what he connects with this. Listen to this. So um, we get down to verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. How about that for a graphic movie? <laughs> right? You picture a, a, a man and he... He, he, he's looked and he has fantasized and he's gone over it in his heart and he realizes his error and, his, and he, he grabs his eye and rips it out, his right eye, he rips it out and throws it away. And this is portrayed as a good thing. It's good. Look at the passage. He's not saying, oh, and whoops, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have ripped your eye out. He's saying, no, this is a great idea. Well, why? Well, because of the cost. He goes on to say in the middle of of verse 29, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Look at verse 30. You didn't get it the first time. Here it is. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. I want to ask you a question. Do you th- what, what do you think Jesus thinks about the lust of our heart? Do you think that he thinks it's no big deal? Do you think that he says, ah, you know, at least you didn't commit anything. At least you didn't do anything. It's just in here. 
Now he's making a huge point here that this is, this is imperative that you do not dabble in this. That this sin is destructive in such a way that he says, even gouging out your eye, cutting off your hand. Uh, I don't know if you got this. It's, it's a small, smaller point, but which eye did he rip out? The right one. Which hand did he cut off? The right one. You know why? Because left hand is useless. You know, I'm just kidding for all you left-handers there. You know, there's the right hand and then there's the wrong hand, right? Uh, no, but he cuts off the right right hand. He gouges out the right eye. Why? Because it's, it's a right-handed world, right? And, and what he's picturing here is this, that he says, cut out if a warrior... Uh, you know, he'd be out there and there's one eye that's dominant. And he says, cut out your dominant eye, the eye that's working for you. Can you imagine what that would be like if, if you're a warrior? Most of your occupations, the idea of losing an eye, you go, man, that would cripple you. And he says, it's good. It's good. Do it on purpose. Doesn't make sense. Why? Because of the cost, because of the danger. He says, cut, cut off your right hand. Well, I'm right-handed. Go ahead, cut it off, because it's better. I think this can be summarized as drastic times deserve drastic measures. When things are important, you you go to great lengths, Uh, especially for you kids here this morning. I I want you to, you're, you're literal. I don't think Jesus is saying here, go gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. I think what he's saying, kids, is this. It's important. You you need to do whatever it takes. I'll say this story. I've said this before, probably, especially in our men's groups. There was a man in this church who uh, his wife was leaving and they were going to be gone. She was going to be gone with the kids for um, about a month. And uh, he called me up and he says, I like to come by the church. And I said, oh, okay. And he comes by the church and he comes in first and he says, can I leave my TV here? And I said, sure. And he goes, my wife's going to be gone for a month and and I have no tolerance. I have no tolerance. I'm not going to be watching TV. It's not what a godly man does. And so he brought, and it was, was it 10, 15 years ago and he had a nice TV. Are you putting it together? It was very heavy, very heavy. Drastic times, drastic measures. You say, oh, that's silly. It is silly unless you want to be a godly man, unless you want to be pure, because you go to great lengths for it. You'll do whatever it takes. Drastic times, drastic measures. So Jesus says this, and he says, uh, you don't want to allow these sins to drag you into hell. As we look at our pornographic culture, we become too familiar with it. We become too comfort, comfortable with it. We, we lack the hatred that it is appropriate. We, we lack the repulsion and the disgustingness of, of immorality. And Jesus says, it's adultery of the heart. It's adultery of the heart. So, um, 
you can imagine what they were thinking. They were thinking that, hey, I just, you know, don't do the act. My heart, it's a private area. And Jesus says, uh-uh. The issues that, and, and really, he's connecting. The heart is w- what matters. Because the act of adultery, that will come out, right? That will happen. It didn't start with the act. It started with the heart and grew from there. As God has purposed, he puts these two sections together, starting in verse 27 and then uh, once again in verse 31, he connects uh, the, the idea of the heart or lust with divorce. In verse 31, it says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Um, most of us today know that uh, divorce is prevalent in our culture. It was then as well. It was then as well. In fact, uh, some of the uh, those who studied the Old Testament, there was a, a group of them that taught that you could divorce your wife for any reason at all. Um, and giving the example that she ruined a meal. Okay? Um, Boy, there'd be a lot more divorces if that was the case, right? And so he says this and he says, if you're going to divorce your wife, if you divorce your wife, the noble thing or the right thing to do is to set her free, is to set her free. Give her a certificate of divorce some, so some other poor sucker uh, can be poisoned by her food, you know, uh, that kind of idea right there is that she should be set free to remarry. And you get this picture here where Jesus is saying, this is the common thing. This is what you get. You understand this. You can divorce, but make sure you set her free. But Jesus says something and he says, he, he says, let me explain my thoughts on divorce. Let me bring down the judgment. Let me answer your culture. He says this, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. More adultery? Uh, Jesus, this, this seems like a simple deal, right? You know, sometimes people get married and they're young and they don't know what they're doing and uh, life's hard and maybe they're not compatible with one another. And, and, and Jesus says, no, he says, it's an issue of adultery. And what he's saying here is this, that, that you're breaking the covenant that you made to one another and to God. That, that he's saying, I, I hold you to that. I see that as important. And once again, the using of adultery, we go, oh, no big deal. You know, it happens all the time in our culture. You know, the great state of California invented something in 1969. I, I didn't know this. I was thinking about it and I, I looked it up. In 1969, the great state of California invented no-fault divorce laws. And what that means is there's a group of laws that basically say, hey, let's not worry about who's at fault here. Let's just part ways and be done. It's no big deal. Let's separate the stuff and go. 
Life is too short to worry about this stuff. And Jesus says, uh, biblical times, but he also says to us this morning, he says, it's a big deal to me. It's issues of adultery. It's a covenant that you made before me. It's keeping that which is difficult. It's no big deal to man, but it is a big deal to God. This morning, um, I know that in our church, there are many divorced people. Many divorced people here today. And even as we bring up this subject, um, some of you who are divorced are struggling right away. You're going, I, I want to I study the scripture and see if my divorce is okay by God. That if I'm good w- before him, that, that I'm okay within his rules. Maybe the, this morning here, there's, there's someone struggling with your marriage and you're going, uh, I got to find a way out of this. I got to study the scripture and figure out a way that I can get out of this marriage because I'm sick of it. Um, maybe some of you here this morning are asking the question, was my divorce good by God? I want to be real careful here, but I want you to hear what I uh, I have to say because I think it pertains to where we are here in this passage. Your divorce was not good. It was not good. Uh, It wasn't good in the eyes of God. And I want to put this in perspective and I want you to see really what I believe the, the point of this whole section is, not just the passage we're looking at, but the whole section. Um, if this was a, a, a section on husbands and what husbands should do, and obviously there's implications, but if it was exclusively about husbands and I get to the middle of that and I ask the question, am I a good husband? Am I a good husband? Don't answer that. Okay. Think about it though. Am I a good husband? The answer would be no. I'm not a good husband. And you say, well, why? Why aren't you a good husband? There's many things uh, that my wife and children could point to that show me not to be a good husband. And you say, well, nobody's perfect. It's not the point here. In fact, it might be the point. Jesus has already talked about perfection. If it doesn't surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, you're not in. And so as we look at this, we look at these sections and we go, um, well, you know, as I look at that section on lust, I, I feel guilty. I feel guilty. And it just seems so harsh and bad. It is harsh and bad. And so there's got to be another way. As I look at this, I go, I can't, I can't do it. And then we come to divorce and we're looking, especially young people, I want to tell you why this is so hard for older people is because we've got history. We've got failings of the past. And when we look in the rearview mirror and we recount the days, it makes us feel burdened and guilty. And we go, we blew it. We were the ones who messed up. And as we look at God's word, I want to put in perspective for you that as we look at the issues of marriage, 
we find ourselves failing. As we look at these things and we, as we hear Jesus speaking, I want to tell you that he's drawing us in. He's drawing us in. We say, Jesus, please, please tell me more. I feel guilty. Please stay by me. I, I, want, I want you to get this this morning. Um, in the midst of the whole book of Matthew, what's it a book about? Those of you who have been here for a while, do you remember what this is a book about? Jesus is king. It's a new kingdom. And as Jesus presents himself as a new king and a new kingdom, he rejects the old way. He shows its deficiencies. He shows where we're lacking. And he draws us to himself and saying, humble, please show me mercy. Please show me mercy. As Jesus uh, shares with us this morning, I I want us to get this one point. That um, just being good enough isn't going to work here, right? Got the issues of our marriage, the failings of our marriages, the failings of our own heart, what goes on in our heart. And you say, well, what do I do? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Uh, He's merciful. He's merciful. He's a good king. He's He's a king of strength. He's a king of strength and mercy, and he will give you what you need. The danger here this morning is we don't think we need a new king. We just think we need to work harder. Boy, that's a a frustrating thing. That's a squirrel wheel you don't want to be on. Pedaling really hard, but you're not getting anywhere. This morning, uh, we have two passages, one on purity, uh, the other on marriage. This morning, I want to encourage you not to think that you can be pure without having Jesus Christ as your king. Don't think about it. It can't happen. You'll fail time and time again without Jesus as your king. This morning, uh, many of us have a past in our marriage and we struggle with the thoughts of how do I be a faithful husband or wife? I want to tell you. Don't even think of being able to do this without Jesus Christ being your king. He is the one. He is the one. The world and its methods have deficiencies that will leave you empty and hanging and frustrated. But Jesus is a king that will meet your needs, will be the one that satisfies you, the one that gives you strength, the one that makes you the overcomer in a world that's filthy. I hope this is encouraging to you as you think through what God wants you to be, that you need Jesus. Let's pray. God, um, weighty issues we look at in your word this morning. And God, uh, as I consider who we are as a people, we're weak. We're we're proud. We we think we have it all together and we chase after things. We mess things up. We we ruin ourselves and others. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to cling to you. God, I thank you for your love for us. That you loved us so much that you sent your son to die. 
that he would die to cover our sins, to, to be our king, to be our savior and king. And God, this morning I ask that you would, in our weakness, in our guilt, cause us to trust in you and drive her closer to you. Experience the grace, the forgiveness, and the strength that comes from your son. God, we commit your word to us. We ask that you would continue to work it over in our own hearts and that we give you the praise for the work that you're doing. We pray all this in your son's name.